maps trying to figure out how many of you uh, crossed a bridge over water to get here today. Uh, if you came from Yukon or South Oklahoma City, or if you drove south on Meridian or on Geraldine to get here uh, today, you drove on a bridge over water. Uh, and you probably didn't even stop to thank the people that built it. Uh, and, and you take it for granted because, uh, I mean, Leah didn't because I, we actually talked about it and I inflicted this conversation on her earlier this morning. Uh, but if you were a kid and you ever played Oregon Trail, how many of you guys played Oregon Trail when you were kids? Yeah. Uh, if you didn't, just bear with us for a minute. Uh, in the Oregon Trail game, you would imagine that you were a family in a wagon uh, trying to make the, the old Oregon Trail journey uh, from the East Coast to the West Coast. Uh, and a horrible thing would happen every so often in the game. You would come to a river. And when you got to the river, you would have one of several choices. Um, let me go to that. Yeah, here you go. You may remember this screen. Uh, when you get to the river, you may attempt to ford the river which is where you just drive across. Um, you may cock your wagon and float it across, was an actual choice. Um, or you may hire a ferry, which was expensive. And all of these came with certain costs and risks. Uh, cocking your ferry and floating it across, um, I never really thought about what that meant. I didn't use cock much as a kid. I told Leah this morning, can you imagine if crossing this river we had to cock your Honda Pilot and float it across? <laughs> this is insanity. Um, and without fail, uh, your wagon would tip over and you would lose some of your bullets and meat and occasionally one of your children wouldn't make it. But it, you know, it was very traumatic. <laughs> Rivers were more dangerous back in the days of early Microsoft computer gaming than they are today. Um, yeah, what do, you, what do you choose, the Oregon Trail? Uh, we take bridges for granted. And we actually, I, I'm kind of being facetious with it, but, but we really do. They do an incredible number of things. And, uh, that get you from one end of an otherwise unpassable chasm to another one. That's, at the end of the day, what a bridge does, is it gets you safely from one side of a space to another side of a space. And, and we live in a, a time in history where we cross bridges without really stopping to wonder, I wonder if this bridge is going to hold me up. Uh, rarely do we wonder that. Maybe more often in Oklahoma than other states, our roads are unbelievable. <laughs> Um, but, but really, we, we trust our bridges. And, and I talk about bridges, and they matter today because I think that we live in a world uh, where when we look at our neighbors who are not believers, I think it's easy for us sometimes to think, man, the bridge between me and my unbelieving neighbor is too far to cross. And we, we sometimes might look at our neighbor who's, who's Buddhist or Muslim or who is uh, atheist or agnostic or indifferent or whatever it is that separates you from them. They're living a wild lifestyle and you're living a calm Christian one. You might look at them and think, the gap between me and that person is too far to cross. There's not a bridge that can, can cross this chasm between me and the people in the world. And here's the thing, God actually has a plan to bridge those gaps. God has a plan to bridge the gaps between us and the world and, and the bridges that he has that he intends to do this work have names. And the bridges that God intends to, to close the gap between us and the world have names and those names are 
names like Alton. Alton's one of the bridges that God uses to bring God into the world and the world to God. Uh, bridges like Donna. Donna does so many World Bible School studies, you may not even know. She uses the internet as a bridge to bring God to the world and the world to God. Or, or letters. Do you actually mail them still with the stamps and everything? She uses stamps for Jesus, guys. <laughs> wow. And that's, that's something. Um, so many different people, you know, Jim's here throughout his life has been an incredible bridge into people's lives, bringing God to the world. Uh, you know, once Jim gets an idea that God can do something, get out of the way. There's nothing that can stop it from happening. But here's the other thing about this plan that God has, that we would be bridges into the world. Uh, that if you believe that, if, that this plan will work, if you believe that God's plan to use his people as bridges between the lost and his church will work, then you're right. Because if you step up, God will show up every single time. But if you believe that this plan is not good and that you're not adequate and that the bridges that God intends to bridge the gap between us and the world, that that plan won't work, then you're right. Whether you believe that this plan will work or won't work, you are correct. Because if you believe it won't work and you don't step up and you're not willing to do it, then God's going to have to find someone else who will. And it doesn't mean that God can't do it. It just means that he's not going to do it in you. We have to believe and be willing to do this kind of bridge, be not even bridge building, bridge being work. To get God to the world and the world to God. So assuming that we do believe that it can work and we're willing to do it, what do we do? And what's keeping us from doing it? And I want to kind of just look at a couple of scriptures today. We're going to look at three. And then I want to look at some of the challenges we face. Then I want to give you a challenge to be a bridge this year. Um, in James chapter 2, the text that was read earlier We've got to get to the fundamentals before we get into the details. And the fundamentals are, are this. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that. And shudder. Even the demons believe that and shudder. If you believe, if you believe that God created the world, that sin separates us from God, that because of this God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross and to teach us incredible things about how to live and that, that when he died on the cross and was resurrected, you have an opportunity to be baptized into that resurrection and live with God forever. How many of you believe that? Congratulations, you've achieved demon level faith. Okay, and I'm kind of being facetious, but, but that's what James says here. 
So often we think about believing that statement or something like it as the, the summit of Christian living in faith is I have right belief that I need to be saved and that, that because of my right belief, uh, I am going to be, I'm in great shape. That that's it. And James says, yeah, congratulations, you've reached demon level faith. Even demons believe that. That's just the way it is. It's not, it's not impressive to just acknowledge that something is the way it is. Anyone, even evil spirits, can do that. What Christianity requires is something more. And I've got to say, I mean, here's the step back. I need to make sure you don't hear me saying what I'm not saying. The step back is this. James is writing to already saved Christian people. James is not explaining a plan of salvation. What James isn't saying is that you can earn your way into heaven or that you can earn your way into salvation. That's not the conversation that's, that's at stake here. Um, if you try and earn your way into heaven, that is, that, uh, you can't build a bridge that, that way. Okay? That, that gap is too wide. You need Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection and his promise of grace that gets you there. That's what gets you saved. But what James is doing uh, is showing up like a doctor and saying, I'm gonna, I, we need to diagnose your faith. Uh, so here's the diagnostic tool. Does your faith have belief? Great. That's fantastic. But if all it is is headspace belief, if there's not action that's connected to it, if it's not making a difference, then I would like to declare your faith has a time of death of 1042. There are no signs of life here. It's not a plan of salvation, but it is an indication that your faith is either living or dead. Are we, are we comfortable with demon-level belief? Then, then if we want to buy into this idea, the first thing that we need to know is that James is teaching us something that's really important, that your faith should launch you into action that you should make a difference in the life of others and that you should be different because of your faith. Do you believe that Jesus lived and died? Yes, then that should change the way that you live and it should change the way you die. Do you believe that Jesus has new life and that, that he was doing incredible things in the world? Then you should do incredible things in the world. It should have a direct impact in what we do or your faith is dead. Peter is having a conversation about a similar idea in 1 Peter chapter, chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4, says this, As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them to fall. Peter's having this kind of old Jewish conversation, and he's saying, listen, you used to have a temple but now Jesus is going to build his house out of living stones, yeah. and that's us. Peter says, don't you know that Christians are going to become the living stones that build the temple, and that we're going to become the priesthood, a holy priesthood, 
We're going to become a holy nation. We're going to become this set-aside people. And he's using all of these old images to say this thing. He says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. The reason he's doing all of this in us is so that we can declare the praises of him who called us. Once you are not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Listen to this plan. Because we're all of these old things in a new way, Peter writes and he says, be different. As foreigners and exiles live such good lives among the pagans. We don't use the word pagans much anymore. Uh, we probably shouldn't. Um, if you've got a friend that doesn't go to church, it's probably not going to help your conversation. If you go, hey, pagan, uh, I don't think it works. Um, so we'll kind of leave that, that word in the past. It kind of does different things. Um, here's what he means. If you're not familiar with it, he means people that aren't brothers and sisters in Christ. People that aren't believers, people that aren't Christians. Uh, and, and Peter's advice is this. Here's what I want you to do. You're different from them, and you're a foreigner and an exile, and it would be easy for us who are Christians in this world to just withdraw like foreigners and exiles and just live among people that are like us and think like us, act like us, uh, refrain from sin like us, and all the things that we as Christians do, and to just put up walls and barriers and withdraw. That's the tendency of foreigners and exiles that are living in a foreign land. Peter says, don't do that. In this land where you are different from the people who are around you, live among them. Let them see you. Let them know you. Know their name. Tell them your name. Build relationships with the people that, that don't have Jesus in their life. And, and he describes this idea of living such good lives among them in two ways. Uh, one of them is moral goodness. Abstain from sin as you live among them. He's saying don't undermine your ministry by committing all the sins and atrocities and perversions of the world where they see it and go, I, why would I believe something that obviously you don't even believe? Have moral goodness uh, undergirding your ministry and your faith. But it's not only that. He says that they may see your good deeds. The goodness is not only moral goodness. It's active servant goodness. It's visible. It makes a difference. It's physical. Because of the good things we're doing, okay, abstaining from sin is the stuff you're not doing. Moral goodness generally is, is abstaining from doing things you shouldn't. But he's saying don't stop there, and so many of us do. Isn't that where a lot of our Christianity uh, begins and ends? It begins with faith and ends with abstaining from sin. He says, but also do such good deeds among them that it produces something. It results in your pagan neighbors, friends, unbelievers, doubters, skeptics, people that, that don't believe anything that you believe, that live a totally different life giving glory to God. 
Here says, you want to know what's going to make the world glorify God is if you live among them in such a way that they see that what you have is better than what they have. But this is a tough teaching. It's a tough teaching. It requires us to get out of our comfort zone. It requires to have relationships with people we may not feel like we have room to have relationships with. It requires a bridge. Suddenly you see this, this responsibility, and, and it, for me it comes across really poignantly, really powerfully in the idea of us being a royal priesthood, which is part of that text in Peter. Uh, the idea of us being a royal priesthood, the priest had two responsibilities, uh, really. Everything that the priest did in ancient Israel comes down to two things. Uh, they're either bringing God into the lives of the people and into the world, or they're bringing people into the, into the presence of God. You're either bringing God into the world or you're bringing the world to God. Those are the two responsibilities of a royal priesthood. And when Peter says that that's our job now, that we're the temple, you know what the temple is? The temple is where God comes down to the world and the world comes to see God. All of these images have this idea of a two-way street. And so when we think about what makes a bridge work, it's a bridge is a two-way street. And the kind of bridges that we are called to be in the world today is bridges who are willing to bring God into the world through active acts of his love, that people can see us doing the things that God wants done. Paul uses the image of, of us being the body of Christ. We should be so much the body of Jesus that we're doing the things that Jesus would do among the unbelieving world in such a way that they give glory to God because they see what Jesus, who he is and what he's doing in us. We bring God to the world. And we also, we can't just bring God to the world. We've got to bring the world to God. If all we do is love people and we don't invite them to, to hear the gospel, to respond to the gospel, to proclaim the good news to them in a way that invites them to receive it, we're only a one-way bridge. We've got, it's got to be two-way, bringing God to the world and the world to God. I think if you look at where Peter might have gotten this teaching and idea, I think he probably got it from his... Uh, the teacher, the rabbi he followed. At the end of the passage we looked at last week on salt and lights in Matthew 5, 16, uh, Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. It's a teaching that's so simple, we give it to children, right? Um, I've got, I'm going to take a second for a brief confession. You know the song, This Little Light of Mine? This little light of mine, I'm going to let you. So you've got two hand motions, right? This is a light, which is probably a candle. Um, and what is this? A bushel. Up until very recently, like way too late in my adult life, I thought it was a bush. Has anyone else ever thought it was a bush? Confession? Okay. Is there anyone who is just now learning that it's a bushel? Yes, Ellie's my man. Um, Carter thought that until yesterday, but to be fair, I probably taught him wrong. So it's okay. Uh, it's a bushel, which a bushel is just like a basket that is the size of a bushel. So you put a bushel of something in it, which is a measurement, and then, then you go, oh, this is a bushel of wheat. Um, oh, how do you know? It's a bushel basket of wheat. So it's a bushel. Um, over. This is what I envisioned growing up, uh, that you would not put 
a bush over a light because it would lead to a brush fire. So it seemed just like good sense. Um, this little item hiding under a bush. Oh no, that's a fire hazard. Um, it's not a fire hazard. It's, that's not what the song's about. It's not about fire safety. I support fire safety. Um, this is what it's about. Do not take the light that Jesus has given and placed in you through his spirit. Do not take that and quench it by hiding it. Here's the instruction, is if you're a great Christian, if you're a great Christian and you do it through abstaining from sin and you're doing great deeds, but they only happen at your house and at your church, you're hiding under a bushel. It's a basket. You're hiding under a basket. No one can see it. It doesn't matter. There is no chance that anyone will glorify God as a result of your good actions that you're doing in secret. The plan is that this good stuff that's taking place, bringing God into the world and the world to God, has to happen in the midst of people that don't know God without you being the bridge into their life that completes this God-given responsibility of being bridges to a world that desperately need God, whether they know it or not. Hide it in my house? Oh, no. Hide it in the church too often. We've got to get our lights out. Doing, and, and let me just say, as we talk about doing this kind of, of two-way ministry, of bringing God's love actively into the lives of people and inviting people at the same time into the relationship with God in the church, I'm not suggesting that we should do this in a way that's manipulative or coercive. Uh, we don't need to be in a place where we're withholding food without, a, without repentance uh, where people feel like they need to make us feel good about what we're doing by responding. What we need, it's not about being bait-and-switch evangelism. Uh, all too often, the church has offered uh, soup, and, and when someone has shown up, they've instead been like, oh, we really just wanted you here to something else. This isn't about uh, manipulative ministry. What this is about is being so, so built into the life of Christ that we exude his kind of goodness to the world. That, that what we do is we become morally good and actively good in a way that genuinely cares about other people, the way that Jesus so often genuinely cared about other people. Uh, when we are able to do this, when we're able to do this, uh, what the Bible teaches is that the world's going to glorify God that the result of this is that the world will give glory to God. So here's what we're doing. Next week, we start our annual March for Missions uh, program, and it's really continuing this conversation about what is the mission of God and how do I get on board. Uh, and, and here's why we've really been building this kind of energy moving into March for Missions, is there's some things about March for Missions that are going to be the same as they've always been. We're still going to have, uh, next week we'll introduce our missions program for the year and kind of review the last year. Uh, and then after that, we'll have three March for Missions guest speakers. Uh, that's the same. We're still going to challenge the congregation, I believe, to $110,000 in, in giving through, through cash and pledges. And we'll collect that on the first Sunday in March. That's, that's not new. This church's love of giving to the mission of God is something that's been going on for decades. And we're going to keep doing that. We're going to keep supporting missions through our financial investment and sharing in that, that burden with them in that way, in the way that we always have. But there are going to be two new things. 
There's going to be two new things with March for Missions this year. The first one is this. We're going to challenge every family at Northwest to, to commit to praying this year for one of our foreign missionaries. Uh, for one of our missionaries that's out doing the evangelism in the field. And the reason we're doing that is because we believe that when we pray with our missionaries, that what our prayers have the power to do is to bring the spirit reality that God intends into the physical reality of these missionaries' worlds. Yeah. And we're going to partner with them uh, in prayer. And we're going to tell them, you know, we're giving you dollars to support what you're doing, but even more important and more significant than the dollars we're sending to you is these people have committed to pray for you this year. We're going to ask you to pray every day for our missionaries. Uh, that's new. The second thing uh, that we're going to be doing this year is we're going to challenge you to do mission work. Do mission work. Uh, we are setting a goal for members to get uh, into the business of being bridges to the world this year. And, and here's what this is going to look like. It doesn't mean that we're trying to get all of you to go to Honduras. Honduras can't handle all of you. And there's not an airline in the world that we want to inflict uh, with, with like all of us. Um, here's what it means, is that in little ways and in big ways, we want 150 members of Northwest Church of Christ this year to commit to doing at least one mission effort locally or nationally. It can be uh, by mail, it can be over the internet, uh, but finding some way uh, to get involved in mission work. And we want 150 to do it. And here's your goal, is to, in doing this mission uh, ministry project that you choose is to bring God to the world and invite the world to God. To become a two-way bridge between people that need God and a God who desperately loves them. And 150 means that some of our kids are going to need to get involved in missions this year. 150 and, and 50 means that some of our missionaries at this church may need to come out of retirement. 150 uh, means that people who are saying, uh, boy, I hope that God can find someone who's skilled and able to do that because I'm not skilled and able, are going to have to get the confidence to believe that God can use even you to do mission work in this city and around the world. As a church, we're going to be, uh, church leaders are going to be finding new ways to give you opportunities to do this that are, that are not too much. Church, I hope you hear this and get excited. Uh, we're going to, here in a couple weeks, once we start, we'll, we'll launch the actual counting of it um, in, with our March for Mission Celebration Sunday. Uh, normally, we get to the March for Mission Celebration Sunday, and we say, congratulations, you've raised our goal for evangelism this year. Now we're going to send it to everyone who's going to do it. This year, what we're saying is, congratulations, you've raised the money to finance our missionaries doing mission work this year. Now you're hired, and you've got a job to do. We're going to make shirts, and everyone who does their, their first mission project gets a shirt, which has the added benefit of when you're wearing a shirt that says something about Northwest Missions, and we're all out uh, over at Kaiser Elementary School, and someone says, man, you guys look like you all showed up together, or at least shop at the same place. Uh, we can say, that's right. We're here from Northwest Church of Christ. We're not just taking God to the world. We're inviting people to God. There's challenges that keep us from doing this. I mean, there's so many things in the world. Here's the thing. Uh, I think the things that keep us from doing this, one is that you have faith. You have faith, but you don't have uh, actions. 
If you're a Christian, that you've grown in faith and you've grown in knowledge and you've grown in wisdom, but you haven't added good deeds to your life, you're not going to do what we're talking about. You have to add the actions to actually be the kind of bridge that God wants you to be. The other problem that we have that keeps us from being uh, the kind of Christians that God wants us to be uh, is that we do the stuff that we're supposed to be doing, but we keep our, our light hidden under the bushel by only doing it at home and only doing it at church. We're going to have to get out of our comfort zone and change the address where we do our good Christian stuff to be doing it among the pagans. Uh, if you're someone who's a one-way bridge, you're a one-way bridge that does a great job of inviting people to accept the gospel and the message, uh, you're a, that's great. But at the end of the day, this is really just street preaching, right? This is the guy that stands at the street corner with a megaphone and says, go to church, you're lost, you need Jesus. If all you're doing is evangelism and inviting, but you're not actually sharing the love of God, and if you're not actually building relationships with people, all you are is someone who's really loud and really easy to ignore. But if you're a one-way bridge in the other direction where you love you're a social justice warrior. You're in soup kitchens and you're advocating and you're giving a voice to the voiceless, but you don't connect what you're doing, your goodness, uh, to the gospel of Jesus Christ in some way that provides an opportunity for the people you're serving and loving, the people who see you doing your good deeds, to in the end give glory to God, to be connected to God and his church, then you're missing it. We can't have one-way bridges. We can't have lights under baskets, and we can't have people with great faith and no deeds, or we're not going to make any kind of a difference in the world. We've got to get over these problems, get out of our comfort zone, put our faith in God, and create room for the Spirit to do what He desires to do, which is bring God to the world and the world to God. Are we willing to do it this year? Are you willing to be involved? Because listen, here's the thing. If somebody sees you doing a good deed and chooses to become a Christian because of it, they've done it because they believe that what you have is better than what they have. If someone chooses to become a Christian, it's because they've seen you and they believe that what you have is better than what they have. Do you believe today that what you have is better than what the world has? Because if you do, then let's show them. Let's tell them. Let's invite them. Let's create opportunities for us to be the bridges in the world, to close some of the gaps that are getting worse every day. Are you willing to personally be a bridge that takes God to the world? Are you willing to be a bridge that invites the world to come with you to have a relationship with God and his people, the church. I hope you are. I hope you are. I'm really excited about what this is going to look like at Northwest and in our neighborhoods and in the schools that are around here. If we're able to really take God to the world and the world to God, I think God's going to do incredible things because of the commitment we make in our missions drive this year for prayer, for finance, for spiritually connecting with our missionaries, and physically getting out of this space and taking our light to the world. But if you're here this morning and you've never even crossed the bridge personally, if you've never made the commitment to get from over here so that you can go over there, 
We sang at the beginning of the sermon, uh, there's going to be no tears over there. Everything's going to be great over there. Don't end up on the wrong side. If you've never made a commitment to become a Christian, to become saved, and you need to do that this morning, or if you have any other need, please come forward this morning while we stand and sing.